It's time now for Illinois Innovators, spotlighting the leaders in research, technology, and entrepreneurship from the engineering at Illinois community. Welcome to another edition of Illinois Innovators. I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. Today, we're talking alternative fuels with our guest, Deepak Kumar, a research assistant professor in the Department of Agricultural and Biological Engineering at the University of Illinois. He has a focus on sustainable production of biofuels and biomaterials. He's part of several projects, uh, one of which is called Petros, uh, plants engineered to replace oil and sugarcane and sweet sorghum. Uh, and he's also leading a project developing fermentation technology for high solid use in the corn ethanol process. Professor Kumar, welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate for giving me this opportunity to talk about my research. So the, uh, the Petros project uh, got some publicity uh, earlier this year, and the headlines, which the grabbing is, can we really get jet fuel from sugarcane? Um, and I, people are interested in the response to that. Just talk about that project uh, briefly, um, you know, how it came to be. And, and um, you know, sugarcane is, uh, you know, highly available in the world. Sure. So... Uh I'll be happy to talk about overview of the project and uh, the jet fuel part you mentioned that was one one specific objective of big project. So overall big project Petros as the name mentioned plants engineered to replace oil in sugarcane and sweet sorghum. So the objective was to to develop crops especially sugarcane and sweet sorghum which can produce accumulate oil instead of sugar. So currently in the in the normal sugarcane and sorghum they produce sugars but idea of this project was if we can engineer these plants so that they can they can accumulate triglycerides instead of sugar so we can get a large quantity of oil per unit land and this was uh, there were three sub objectives of this project one was uh, obviously putting the oil in crops second was increasing photosynthetic efficiency and third was increasing cold tolerance so through through combination of these three objective idea was to develop a highly productive oil crop which can which can be grown in uh, which can be grown in less productive lands and we can get large a large quantity of biomass which produces oil well i think we mentioned uh, prior to this recording that uh, this was kind of in the research stage so uh, talk about w the results, what you were able to, to find, because obviously uh, this is something that a lot of people are interested in. Uh, what were your, your initial results? Uh, sure. So uh, let's talk first about the overall three objectives. Uh, as, as I mentioned, first was accumulation of oil. So in wild-type sugarcane, the oil concentrations are less than 0.05%, so almost negligible oil. So if you'll try to convert that to biodiesel or jet fuel, that won't be feasible. Through this project, uh, over th there was progress, and uh, and currently we are around eight to nine percent of oil already in the leaves, and which is like which is like about two hundred times than the wild type. But theoretically, if we can convert all of the sugar into instead of producing all of the sugar is the energy is converted to produce triglycerides, it can accumulate twenty percent. So we we did some we did some studies, um, techno-economic studies, like if we convert this crop uh, to produce either biodiesel or biojet fuel, and we compared different scenarios where we varied oil percentages from five percent to twenty percent. And then regarding uh, 
photo photosynthesis so as i said the second objective is photosynthesis where where they are trying to increase photo photosynthetic efficiency and third is cold tolerance so where uh, an another group um, where where the the group they crossed two hybrids of uh, sugarcane with miscanthus to produce miscane varieties and they tested it successfully under temperature below 10 degrees celsius and its photosynthetic efficiency remain uh, same as it case in, in case of miscanthus and it's much higher compared to sugarcane so all three objectives are were, were uh, achieved to some extent and now the field trials of this crop is happening in florida okay so talk about why this is important uh, you know i guess maybe that's it's an obvious question um, as we look at shortages potentially of oil and making this a, a possibility is this something that can be done ch cheaper than uh, we do right now or, you know what what are some of the the, the reasons behind people's interest in uh, trying to find these alternative fuels um, yeah sure i mean obviously price is one of the biggest motivator but the second the main challenge in case of oil based fuel i mean oil means like lipid based fuels is large availability of feedstock so currently like biodiesel in the united states about 65 to 70% of biodiesel is produced using soya bean but even if we use all of the soya bean for production of biodiesel it won't meet the requirement nation's requirement and uh, fuel consumption is increasing continuously due to increase in population industrialization so there is need critical need to develop new feedstock which can produce huge amount uh, huge quantities of oil and use less arable land or in fact it would be best if it, they can be grown in the land where currently there is no food or feed production okay. so that is the biggest advantage with this sugar this modified sugar cane which we call lipid cane so uh, our initial estimate based on the crop characteristics uh, we have identified there is about 23 million acre of land available in southern eastern united states which currently is is not neither producing food or feed and where this crop can grow and can can produce huge amount um, amount of oil which can be converted to biodiesel or or biojet fuel and the reason for that land is uh, again the sugar cane require less fertile land compared to other normal grain crops and also due to other objective i mentioned increasing cold tolerance so if the cold tolerance is increased it can be grown in in those areas and then later on, uh, so this later on when we did the techno-economic analysis of biojet fuel production, the we we found that the the biojet fuel production, if we convert it into uh, per unit land, so we can get up to 15 times higher jet fuel from same amount of land if we get from soybean. So if we, if we talk specific numbers, so approximately 2,500 liter of biojet fuel can be produced from an acre of land compared to only 160 liter from soya bean. Okay, so you mentioned that this land is not being used. Wh what makes sugarcane able to grow in that type of situation where nothing else right now, they, you know, it's, it's not really useful land, but it could be useful in growing sugarcane? So currently, sugarcane is anyways, as I mentioned, it require it require less agricultural inputs, and it can it can grow on little less productive land compared to uh, compared to compared to normal grain crops. But 
the ma major objective of this uh, this project was increasing fold tolerance so if we can increase fold tolerance it can it can uh, it can grow in those regions and that land can be used to produce this crop okay so talk about efficiency because that would be the other you know cost availability efficiency we're talking jet fuel and i would guess that the efficiency needed for jet fuel would be more than what you would need say in a passenger car uh, so in in terms of efficiency again as this crop is in the development stage so we have not conducted a lot of experimental work we have done we have done the lipid profiling we have done the uh, oil concentrations in plant but the analysis we did was based on assumptions so we we assumed that the oil quality would be very similar to what we get from soybean oil and plant oil to biojet fuel production technology is is at very mature stage so there's already uh, already uh, the the fuel produced is already approved to use in commercial jet planes by 50-50 blend so we can use 50% renewable jet fuel with 50% petroleum jet fuel and uh, it has been tested in several commercial flights as well as other military flights so uh, from our analysis what we found was the i mean uh, we we found that the production cost from this crop if we produce jet fuel from this crop is relatively less compared to if we produce bio jet fuel from any other feedstock it could be soybean oil jitrofa oil residue cooking oil waste oil so our production cost as well as minimum selling price was relatively less it was uh, what we estimate like if we convert all of the sugar if instead of all of the sugar only oil is produced which we call 20% lipid so that the sugar cane with 20% lipids and 0% sugars so if we produce bio jet fuel from that crop our estimates were uh, 2. Point, our estimates were about 2.7 dollar per gallon production cost and 5.3 dollar per gallon selling price so in the selling price is when we it's with 10% internal rate of return so you are considering the capital cost investment also so it is definitely higher than the market price of commercial jet fuel right now available but that has been found in all of the studies wherever with any feedstock if we produce bio jet fuel the production costs are currently higher but they will eventually go down with when the technology get more matured and when the crop ma major like from our analysis we also found about s more than 70% of the cost is coming from feedstock itself so as the crop get into more maturity the the technology matures so these costs will come down but but the good news is production cost from this crop is less than any other biofeedstock and i would guess if you can mass produce it it will bring down the cost as well uh, well this analysis is done considering uh, mass mass scale production so it's, it's called commercial scale techno-economic feasibility analysis so we simulate a model in computer uh, like for example this was done uh, for uh, 8,000 metric ton of sugar cane daily processing capacity for 200 days, which is typical sugar refineries. So, uh, so, but but as the technology matures and as the crop production come into reality, so prices would go down. And another thing, main thing in any bioprocess is co-product. So, jet like in this study, we considered jet fuel as main product, but the, along with it, there were co-products produced like naphtha, diesel, propane gases. So right now, because the crude oil prices are low, so the, the cost, the selling price of diesel and naphtha was also low, 
but if as if the prices changes prices fluctuate they go up so that you can get more credit from co products so your main product cost will go down another big advantage of using this crop for biojet fuel or biodiesel production is uh, compared to other typical other conventional oil crops like soybean or jatropha so in case of lipid cane you are using only lipids and sugars to produce biofuel but after extraction of juice the remaining bagasse you used you burn it to produce steam and electricity so from our analysis we found that all at any any oil concentration it, if it is 5% oil or 20% oil the steam and, and electricity produced from burning of bagasse was sufficient to meet the plant requirement which means you don't need to use electricity produced from fossil sources so if you if we talk about from the environmental perspective it's it's even benefit and in fact we found there was excess electricity available which can be sold to grids so i mean normally considered in most of the studies in cellulosic ethanol case so you can you sold sell that excess electricity which can be used somewhere else so this project uh the the with the grant and you've you published the paper that project is done that stage what is the next steps here um and I, i'm assuming that your lab will continue to be involved in this project so uh this project was multi institute project so university of illinois was leading the project but there was university of nebraska university of florida uh, brookhaven's national lab and currently as you said the petros project is over but there are some field trials going on with this crop at university of florida but we got uh, uh, regarding continuation of similar concept we got um, uh, university of illinois got another uh, several million dollar grant uh, the project name we call it rogue uh, where we are putting oil in s in energy cane which is another crop which is highly productive like sugarcane and its yields could be even even higher is that something that could be grown as north as as illinois so again uh, there are similar concept uh, similar objectives in that project also increasing photosynthetic efficiency and increasing cold tolerance so uh, so once once those targets are achieved it can be grown in in larger area wow that's impressive and that's uh, i mean something that would be beneficial to everybody if if you can these uh, you know, we normally think of sugarcane being grown in tropical areas. Right. Uh, if it can be grown further north, and you talk about land right. that's not being used for anything um, right now, uh, that could be could be huge. Right. So as I mentioned, the initial estimates showed there are like it, there's about 23 million extra the 30 mil 23 million acres land available where this crop can grow. And uh, from our estimates, it's also showed. If we grow this crop, 20% lipid cane in all of that land, and we convert that into biojet fuel, it would roughly meet about 65% of nation's demand currently. So it's, 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 it has huge potential. So uh, let, let's talk about another project that you talked about um, that you've been involved with, involving ethanol. And of course, that's, that's something that uh, we around here are familiar with, being uh, you know, a place that corn is grown and certainly here in Iowa and, and Nebraska and some of the other places uh, but you are trying to make this a little bit more efficient uh, ethanol and I'll let you just take the project from there uh, sure and um, um, thank you again so we are switching gears from biojet fuel to bioethanol as you said 
bioethanol is al already established biofuel. So United States is biggest ethanol producer in world. Uh, last year it was about 16 billion gallon of ethanol was produced, mostly mostly from corn and we being in Midwest, so we hear it often. So uh, idea of this process, uh, this this project was this is a, a this is a NSF funded project. So NSF funded industry university collaborative research center. So we have a research center here at University of Illinois Center for Advanced Drying (CARD). So it's a co-host, co it's a joint joint institute between University of Illinois and uh, Worcester Polytechnic Institute (WPI). So they funded this project. So in this one, idea was if we can use high solids in dry grind process. So let me give you a very brief overview of dry grind process. So dry grind process is the main process used to produce ethanol in the United States. As I said, most of it comes from corn and about 90% facilities used dry grind facility. And there are about 200 commercial plants. So uh, in, in very layman terms, so we ground the corn, we mix it in water, make a slurry, and then we put enzymes uh, to convert uh, starch, corn starch into glucose, which is further fermented by yeast ethanol in, in very simple terms and what we talk about solids here is when you make slurry initially how much water you add so typically currently it's 30 to 35 percent corn solids so in in the water so th 30 to 35 percent corn and then um, remaining is water so idea is if you can put more solids there would be more starch in that you can produce more ethanol because eventually you will have to recover pure ethanol. So once the fermentation happens at the end, there is certain percentage of ethanol and you have to remove all of the water. So you put less water, you will have to remove less water. And also if you want to process same amount of material, so overall volumes will go down and you can save a lot of energy in heating and cooling process as well as ethanol recovery process uh, during distillation. And also after recovery of ethanol, the remaining portion is is further processed and dried and used as animal feed. It's called DDGS. So if we put more solids at front end, later on you will have to the, the drying you can save some drying also. So drying cost will go down also. However, what happens is when when we put more solids and ethanol concentrations start build up, it becomes toxic to yeast. So it, it, it start disintegrate yeast membrane and it leads to stuck fermentation. So yeast stop performing and which lead to uh, large amount of glucose residues and less conversion efficiency. Through this project, we are tr trying to address that problem. So what we propose what, uh, and what we, we have already achieved is, so what we say is during fermentation, when the fermentation is happening simultaneously, if you can keep removing some of the ethanol, so that the concentrations in the fermenter remain below the toxic levels for yeast. So yeast can continue, continue fermentation. But how we do is we apply vacuum. So during, by applying vacuum, you can evaporate ethanol at the normal temperature. So fermentation happens at 32 to 33 degrees Celsius. Uh, for that's the optimum temperature for yeast. So if you want to evaporate ethanol at that temperature, you can apply vacuum. So what we, what we found was if you like intermittently apply some cycles of vacuum and remove certain percentage of ethanol, you can, you can get complete fermentation. Um, so it really drives down the need for water, number one, and it makes it a lot more efficient in terms of what it costs 
for this whole process to, to work if uh, you know this thing is developed yeah so as we mentioned there are several advantages so first one is overall energy uh, there will be energy savings because now you are assuming you are processing same amount of material but now because you will be making less volumes because of high solids so you you will require less heating and cooling second is you will be saving energy in distillation process during recovery of ethanol and during drying of ddgs and fourth as you mentioned uh, there is water saving so we you are using less water to make slurry so there is potential you can save save water in this one but uh, but as I said, the efficiencies are very low if you use the conventional process. For example, if I give numbers, if you use 40% solids compared to like 32, 33% normally used, at 40%, the efficiency is only about 50%. So only 50% of starch gets converted to ethanol and there is large amount of glucose which remain unconverted. But through our process, we were able to convert all of the glucose, all of the starch into ethanol, and we got the similar conversion efficiencies which we get at 30% solids or 32% solids. So if we compare conventional process versus this vacuum-assisted fermentation technology at 40% solids, so we got 65% higher conversion efficiency. And you have no glucose left over to yeah. have to deal with. We, we don't have any glucose left over. But, uh, and we found that during the 72-hour period, uh, so we typically assume fermentation run for 72 hours, we had to apply only about uh, five hours of vacuum. So we applied one and a half hour vacuum uh, for four cycles. And in fact, we were able to uh, achieve complete ferment fermentation for 42% solids, where we get the conversion efficiency was 88% higher compared to conventional process. So that gives huge, huge advantage. Uh, yeah. And also the solids were higher in the remaining portion after you recover ethanol, so which will, which will lead to energy savings in, in drying also. We further took this technology, I mean, r like right now, we started it with, with the use for high solids, but we also thought that this toxic effect of ethanol on yeast happens at even at lower ethanol concentration. So we applied the same vacuum technology to um, currently use solids. So we tried at 32% solids, which industry use. So what advantage we got in that case was, I mean, although in 72 hours you were getting complete fermentation in conventional process also, but with this, we were able to speed up the process. So ethanol become, when the inhibition was removed, so it become very active and instead of 32 hours, uh, instead of sorry, 72 hours, we were able to complete fermentation only in 32 hours. So it's, it's more than like less than half time. So you can use small fermenters or you can improve the productivity of plant using this technology. So for the consumers, what could this, uh, could this mean in terms of uh, cheaper to, to buy ethanol, more readily available? You know, what, what are some of the, the impacts? Uh, and I know you're in the research stage, but can you, you know, talk a little bit about what the impact could be on the ethanol industry? Because obviously as we're looking for other uh, biofuels or alternative fuels, ethanol uh, remains a proven technology, but you know, I, I, there are some skeptics out there as well on, on what the future is gonna be as, as it relates to ethanol. Yeah, I know I, I agree with you. And uh, that was 
one of the motivator for for this research as you said i mean although there is 200 commercial plants but uh, with oil prices fluctuating and very low oil prices so there is some uncertainty in the ethanol industry also and they are looking forward for technologies which can improve the pro current process economics or they can generate more co-products so any basically any idea which can cut down the cost so as i mentioned there are huge advantages with the with the process we have developed but we don't have right now exact numbers where we can say uh, this will do this much cost cutting we are working so we have successfully tested this technology on lab scale now we are trying to find out a design which can be implemented on commercial scale because practically it might be difficult to pull out vacuum on big fermenter on because it's several million gallon fermenters so we are seeing if we can pull out a stream on side and apply vacuum on that or or some other designs so that's that's part of this project and once that's achieved we are also working on uh, techno-economic analysis like we did for jet fuel so the techno-economic analysis is helpful for the technologies which are on the research stage so you can see if you apply this technology what will the be the what would be the gains in terms of energy and cost savings because i mean although we are getting several benefits but along with it you're putting energy in pulling out vacuum also and you will have to uh, put vacuum pump and you will have to put some capital investments also but uh, this the as i said this project was funded through card institute where ethanol industries are also member of that that um, um, that program so they are our mentored also so we are working collaboratively with industries while developing this technology so we can see it get really implemented in the commercial scale we have other projects you're working on i'll give you a chance to talk about those in general because obviously they're still in the research stage so there's only so much of specifics that you can share with us but give us an idea of the breadth of some of the other projects and and the potential impact uh sure uh so as as we just talked about like uncertainty in ethanol industry so everyone is look whoever is doing research in ethanol is looking for other co-products we can produce or new materials we can use so one another way to improve ethanol process economics is if we can generate more co-products so in the conventional process as i said you convert corn starch into ethanol and all of the remaining fractions are combined as ddgs which is used as animal feed but recently there has been trend that you fractionate the corn so you separate uh, separate uh, separate the germ from corn it is a component in corn kernel which contains oil so you can use that oil just as other other vegetable oil uh, in the front end but removing of corn germ at front end causes again problems in fermentation because that germ contains oil as well as several nutrients which are used by yeast to grow during fermentation so we are trying trying to identify what are different approaches how we can address that problem either one approach which we have published is you soak that germ and remove the soluble nutrients so oil will not come only the soluble nutrients will come and you put that while making slurry and it improves the fermentation second one is we are recently just completed that study where we are using some agro industrial wastes which has large amount of nutrition just add that small amount of waste along with corn which will help in fermentation and an another project uh, uh, we are kind of working is uh, where uh, we are we are processing colored corn you might have seen some colored corn tortillas in the in the 
in the supermarkets tortilla chips brown, purple tortilla chips or blue chips so uh, this is again a, a collaborative projects with different departments where we are trying to extract anthocyanins so that color is because of anthocyanins so if we can extract those anthocyanins at front end and use the remaining corn to produce ethanol and those anthocyanins are of very high value this can give a huge benefit to ethanol industry well you're early in your research and so i always leave a few minutes here at the end just to talk about uh, imagine what the future will look like in terms of biofuels uh, and uh, you know put uh, put it on a little look into your crystal ball as much as you can <laughs> to say what can what uh, you know what's what's the future look like here well future is always uncertain <laughs> but uh, but as you said i mean there's possibility that because we need biofuel, there is no question about it. I mean, in, in every sector, it's, I, I mean, we need all, in fact, we need all kind of energies. We do not just biofuel, we need wind energy, solar energy, we need nuclear energy to solve, solve the energy problems. But biofuels are supposed to keep growing and especially biojet fuel because the, the flights are, um, the passengers traveling through flights are increasing every year and there is, there is predictions like it will be almost double in next 20 years. So, so, so airlines as well as governments, agencies, they are concerned about the emissions generated through use of petroleum jet fuel. So a huge, I mean, there is a there is big research going in that area and developing new feedstocks, technologies. Um, so I, I, I hope that thing gets continue and we actually use jet fuel, biojet fuel in the commercial, commercial planes. So, I mean, these uh, technologies are ultimately better for the environment, right? That's right. So again, I mean, uh, there have been some st studies, life cycle analysis, what we say, where we, where we consider the whole from crop production till it's, it's used in the planes. They have showed, like if we use biojet fuel, there could be up to 75 to 80% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions with the use of biojet fuel. There's a lot of people would say, sign me up for that. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I, I agree, and let's look forward how things go. Well, Deepak Kumar has been our guest, and we could probably uh, continue this conversation. We certainly want to uh, have you check in uh, periodically, but uh, thank you so much for sharing your research and technology, and we uh, eagerly await the, the next steps uh, when it comes to this. Thank you. I again appreciate you for inviting me and um, discuss about my research. Thank you. This has been another edition of Illinois Innovators. I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. Illinois Innovators is a production of Engineering at Illinois. All rights reserved. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or SoundCloud by searching Engineering at Illinois. We hope you'll help grow our core of listeners by leaving a favorable rating on iTunes.